0: You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Anna Conway. Anna, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. Anna, we're going to talk about your your current show at Fergus McCaffrey, but I'm I'm also curious, we're we're talking on December 10th in 2021. It's been... um, it's been a tough year. How, how did the last year impact your your practice? Uh, I have an only
1: child who was nine at the beginning of the pandemic, turned 10, and um, now 11. I guess, yeah, it's, it's stretched out, right, March, she turned 10. Yeah, it's, it's, she's gone through three, three ages during the pandemic, so I guess I think of it as that kind of, before the pandemic and this kind of ongoing as you know in her in her school she's constantly having to deal with COVID exposures and closures and so on so it, it's been um, I feel like I I became a kind of a playmate for for a child over this this last you know period of the pandemic which was very strange and she actually ended up I ended up teaching her, or you know she had remote school in my studio, which is what she wanted. She didn't like being separated from me, so I set up a table. So it's been pretty weird to have to try to to be a painter and a parent, and there the, everything was just very blurred, of course. so it's been it's, it's it's been challenging, of course, I guess, but beautiful in a way too. like some you know, like challenges tend to be beautiful and really hard.
0: And did that affect the the narratives or the or of what you were working with or the the paintings themselves? Do you think? I mean, it's that's it, such a, a total difference, right? You're saying it's both, you know, something kind of wonderful and really challenging. Um, yes. did, did that change anything it, in your in your work itself? Oh, for sure. I
1: for sure. In fact, oddly, I'd had in my head a a painting of a it was really really about being a mother of a son. I don't I don't have a son, I have a daughter. But um I I just for some reason imagined I'd always thought as a as a, a little kid that I would have a son for some reason and I I I was imagining this space in a kitchen, a very congested space where where the the mother lived. She was a single mom, and, and I I painted this kitchen painting, and it's in the show, and and it 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 was I think it was about falling into a trance while you're a parent. I'm um, sometimes at the end of a painting I figure out maybe what it was about in a in a strange way because the the impetus to keep m- making a painting comes from the painting itself really to me and pushes me along. I always imagine that I'm going to suddenly make really loose kind of sexy paintings that are gestural. And, and I, you know, I I love paintings like that, but those are not the paintings I end up making. And so in some ways um, they are slow burn working on them and they're, they're intense. I've, I feel about my own paintings that they're very intense, and that this period of painting during a pandemic, with my child nearby, always it was very distracting. Having you know, thinking about her in the next class and logging on and off and technical problems, and um, that was very strange and distracting. Having someone constantly there, but. But yeah, certainly like that kind of intensity of trying to concentrate on something else and be lost in in my own trance. And I used to do that when I was a parent. I would suddenly, you know, I would be keeping one eye on my kid at a park and I was just so far away mentally. And it happens, I think, a lot to parents. And I didn't have another child for her to play with, so it was it was kind of intense. Sometimes I would be trying to think about my own work or just just in another place while I was also physically, you know, doing dishes and, you know, trying to keep things together. So I think that, that juggling act was, is definitely inside the two of the paintings that I
0: made during
1: the pandemic, which are very big
0: paintings actually. Um, And and it is one of the paintings we're talking about uh, fishing for minnows in the back of a whale. Yes. Yes
1: that's that's the painting the, the kitchen painting that i'm talking about and
0: um yeah so, that so is definitely, I'm, I'm so i'm so glad we are talking yeah. about that painting because i was looking at that one a lot it's it's kind of a favorite of, of mine but now that you're talking about it also um a number of things yeah are are a little clearer you know the the dinosaurs the army men um and and also like the the dishes so precariously piled, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as I, as I look at that more, you know, there, there seems to be a number of elements in there that, you know, are pointing to a kind of uh, narrative that, that you're, you're kind of laying out, but some of it seems kind of like you'd have to find the clues. I mean, I don't know if the number of magnets mm-hmm. that are holding up the Stonehenge poster or painting is, is, is of, uh, uh, something specific. It looks like in the pile of dishes, there's also a 60 in there. Um, -hmm. are, are these kind of, um, I don't know, personal or kind of personal iconography of your own that, that's referencing something that, that only you understand?
1: I, it's funny. I, I've read a few people have written that my paintings feel almost like a like a Jean Le Lucare, I think this um, a writer wrote that they they feel a bit like you're looking for clues mm-hmm. as to what it's about. And I, I was reflecting on that a little bit, and I I happened to be a friend of mine as a musician, and he he asked me actually to watch the Beatles documentary that just came out. And it's funny. I was sitting sort of on the Edges of my chair because they're, they're in the midst of writing songs that we know really, really well now. And, and you're wondering, oh, where did that just come from? How did, where did they pick that up? How did they get put into that song? And, and it's a little bit maybe like even I'll pick through my painting and think, what, what was that clue? And I guess very early on, as a kid, I remember thinking about that Hansel and gretel you know you 're finding a trail or you 're looking you leave crumbs and and you in a way, I started thinking one of the things I really wanted to do was to as particular as I got older, I did not want to stay where I was growing up, and I felt that really strongly to the point where when I was in when I was finally graduating from high school, I applied to my first choice school was University of California, Berkeley. And I lived in Foxborough, Massachusetts. I mean, it was as far away as I could possibly get. And it wasn't, it wasn't trying to leave my family, but I was, I felt like I, I should be discovering who I am somehow and that there would be clues. And I had to be really clear headed and find out what they were. And I didn't, I didn't apply to college as an artist. Even I didn't, it, it seemed to me how how do you make yourself how do you how do you make your own life that seemed to, like this huge responsibility that I had my own life that I wasn't that that I was unmoored somehow and that felt a little overwhelming and I think that I've always um, I have been interested in looking trying to find a space where I could um, go into a trance or to find out who I was or to, to, to reach that depth of feeling that I think all of us maybe yearn for. Um, I, I, I read the, I don't know if you've heard of my struggle, Carl Uwe Knausgaard book.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. Did you read the whole thing? (laughs) Well, I
1: listened, I listened to them. All on audible all of them all of
0: them right yes. it's, it's, it's just like yes. a colossal book right it 's something like 5,000 pages it,
1: it makes no sense why you'd stick with it why it's riveting I mean there's there's something really mysterious that happens where you get entranced by them even though the content you know there's going to be no climax I mean it's really clear the guy's still alive he hasn't lived through you know he's actually lived in one of the most Um, kind of remote. My cousins are from Norway. So my first cousins, my uncle was in the military stationed in Norway. So they all grew up there and I always found them a great mystery to me, even their language. They would come and spend time with my family. And I couldn't believe that my very first, you know, my close cousins speak this other language and they have, I mean, back in the 80s, they wore the most most absurd clothes. And, And Carl Uwe talks about that and talks about these minute details and he's very concerned that he won't become a writer that he won't be a good writer he's very worried about it and and the books are just kind of talking about that fear that he'll never be who he's supposed to be but the books are happening while he's wondering about that and i think i think in a way all the details in my paintings are are me looking for that a transformative moment. Um, and you can find it sometimes. I think it hits you, uh, you know, upside the head at sometimes the least convenient. I mean, a, a, say a perfect example would be my, my daughter and I were looking at pictures of, from when she was first born. And those pictures don't transport me. I'm looking at her in the minute after she was born, but that—that that isn't the closest I feel to that moment. Like the closest I feel to that moment is when I'm back at that doctor's office, and I, you know, I close my eyes and the smell and the feeling of that place. That would transport me there, rather than this actual photo. And so I think, um, I think in some ways, I I do like to paint the way the world looks to me but that there are still these transcendent things in in my in my life that call to me you know maybe it's out of the corner of your eye this you know a small moment or um so i give i i mean i guess i feel compelled to create the entire space and yeah sometimes i do yeah, i you know, you think, as a kid, I was completely amazed by, you know, Mayan calendars and um, and Stonehenge, and nobody knew, there was nobody on earth who could figure out exactly why somebody left that behind. Was it for us to see? You know, it it just seemed like this message that would always remain, you know, obscured to us or something, and I I think paintings are that in a way. You can't, and they're still, they're like infuriatingly still. It's not like a a film that has a climax or a resolution. They just stay still, you know? And I do love that about paintings. They're very, you know, even you think of the Mona Lisa, maybe the most famous painting. And I was very, you know, I was was in my 20s. I thought I was going to find myself in Europe and I, standing, looking at people, looking at that painting and thinking, what is it saying to them? I don't know what it's saying to me. What is it saying to them? And we're all just waiting and it's, and it's always very quiet, you know, in a gallery like that. And, and Mona Lisa looks infuriatingly still. And if you stare at her long enough, she, it looks like she's moving, but that's just, of course your brain just almost can't tolerate that amount of stillness, I suppose. But um,
0: right. I don't know if that, clarifies anything but it does clarify a lot and it, and it also you know seems to relate i mean of course directly to all your work but i'm also thinking of uh the painting arc which is also a new painting and um huge the same size as uh as as fishing for minnows on the back of a whale yeah. um this one also feels like paintings within paintings, and it seems to reference everything you just said, though there's also these kind of worlds within worlds here that, that yeah, invites us to somehow look closely, look very closely at the painting to try to understand mm-hmm. what's happening, because at, at first glance or even at, you know, 50th glance, it's not completely clear. Um, so, this is also what you're talking about, right? And and even the the term arc yeah. seems to be this kind of uh, um, metaphor for what you're what you're saying. And, and 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 stop me if I'm reaching too much, but this this kind of uh, we don't understand the arc either, or or, or that story quite. And uh, but it's fascinating, and it's impossible to let go of somehow. And in thinking that there there might be a real one somewhere, and that there's something inside it that. Yeah.
1: I mean, they're very childish. Those are extremely, I couldn't wait to have my own kitchen when I was a kid. And I would think, I would have my own kitchen. I would have to be responsible for my dishes. I would have my own refrigerator. And the the only things in there would be my things. And I, I remember being fascinated by this responsibility to build a life. And I'll try to say this without crying because it still feels a little fresh. But my mom died in front of me. We we're all with her. She died in her house. And I remember just being so stunned that she was taking all these details with her, you know, that, that I, I thought, oh, no, I need to ask her about this. I need to ask her about that. And um, she also comes, of course, from a time when noth- nothing's documented quite uh, well. You know, certainly now it's... Feels like everything's being documented, but like I said, there, you know, the compulsion to take photographs, for example, is something I'm really bad at. Um, and I, it comes directly from my mother. My mother, we just, I don't know if it was. I do remember my mother saying, "Be stay present. You really want to experience this moment." And I remember that mattered to her a lot, and there was something a little poetic and sweet about that of trying to to not just back up and take a picture of something so that you captured it forever, which it really doesn't do. It doesn't do that job i don't I don't like I said, I don't get really transported by photographs very accurately, so for me, the arc is that sense of awe too when you're I think for me, one of the big interests of my life was archaeology and that people, I, I actually was born in Durango, Colorado and remember very distinctly understanding that people had been living for so long in some of these desert areas that seemed so uninhabitable and particular Mesa Verde is this. I painted that in the arc. Um, Mesa Verde had, it's this cliff dwelling in, in the Southwest. And I made, when we left the Southwest and moved to Foxborough, Massachusetts, I made a replica. I made one of those dioramas. And as a kid, I absolutely loved dioramas. I loved going to museums and looking inside of a diorama and trying to imagine myself into that place. And I think... Um, as i've gotten older, museums feel feel like wonderful and kind of sad places to me um, and the the idea of of collecting things physically um paintings are so physical too they're such one offs they're kind of like human beings in that there's just one it can get scratched and broken and and burned and it's kind of clumsy and you have to move it physically around and it needs to be put in a little crate and when you compare that to the internet or you know instagram where everything is appears to be forever you know it appears to have this kind of more permanent than something physical which you know kind of doesn't make sense in a way either but um I think it was about that—that that containment, the way we contain things now in this, you know, in, in in a digital space is so, so different than a than a physical space. And and paintings have this sad, clunky, real physicality that is is very uncool in a way, and very. Um, oh, it does remind me of like the human body, you know. I guess in that in that way that it it also is a little immovable too in the way that we can't get outside of ourselves no matter how we, hard we try that old stupid saying like you are you know you try to go somewhere else to find yourself and there you are kind of you're always carrying this this body around with yourself kind of being
0: um, right and this knowledge as you were saying that that. As, as in the case of your your, your mother this this kind of and I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that and thank you for mentioning that and I'm sorry to hear about your your mother but but that idea of um of of knowledge disappearing with someone uh is um is is a is is a kind of a difficult concept. My mother also died in front of me at her home. I took care of her, and I remember a, a curator talking to me. It was Rosalie Goldberg who said, um, "You know," and it's and it and of course it's still very tough. And, and and she said to me, "Oh, you know, what a shame! All that all that knowledge that 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 uh, that she mm. took with her." And I never I thought that was such an odd comment initially because I thought, "Well, yeah, I guess," but but that is what's what's difficult about, about that kind of, in a sense, awkwardness of the body, what it carries, because there's all kinds of things now that, uh, that I can't access, right? Where was this photo taken? What's this, where's this piece of jewelry from? All these things that I wish mm-hmm. I could have asked, but, but that, 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 that are not there. Um,
1: yeah, and they're like Stonehenge that they become that kind of unknowable thing that, Oh, I don't, I don't know that I'll, this puzzle will never be, sorted out you know and you can't ever reacquaint yourself with her perspective of course you never could you know they're never your perspective and hers were never the same anyway which is Mm -hmm. another fascinating part you can't you're you're next to someone as they're taking their last breath and you're like i can't believe i can't I can't get closer to this, I can't have this experience, they have to have this alone. It's the same thing when you give birth, really, which sounds so corny, but those two bookends are so dramatic, but they're also, they kind of go out with a whimper, and they're very common. Every, you know, Billions of people have had babies, and billions of people have died, and how is it that, how is it that something that extraordinary is is also so ordinary? You know, it seems crazy that, you no, know, that that it isn't somehow, um, and it is transformative to the people. You know, it's the little ripple in the pond, of course. And so then you look for the the links, the transcendent. Where where do I connect with this person? How do I connect? Um, how can I connect with other people? And of course, painting which came as a surprise to me that you can make a painting and and then it may speak to somebody else, you know, and even if it's just a, a, a few people that visit it or, you know, it resonates with, there's a moment where you do feel connected to somebody, right? Or, you know.
0: Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's
1: yeah without it being too much about with without it being too much physically a part of you of course it's that you know a painting is outside of yourself it does remind me in a way of of a child I have you know and then I there is something I, I do get you know paintings do they're very significant to me while I'm working on them i would be it's funny I would be devastated if I'm in the middle of a painting and it just suddenly disappeared because I would feel like we're in the middle of something. But, but often once they're resolved, I do become, there's a weird detachment that happens. And, you know, I've been going back to the show cause I actually start thinking, I have no idea what my paintings look like. And so I go back to check on them somehow to see like <laughs> wait, what, what did you look like again? How, what was the space of, you know, and unsurprisingly to me now, looking back, I tend to go from a very t- claustrophobic space to a a much air, you know, a space with a lot more air, and meaning, meaning the space inside of the painting. You know, those two paintings, one is a vast space and the other is a very congested space. Um, that's another thing I've noticed that I tend to tick-tock between them. That... Um, for a long time, that that's been happening.
0: Thanks. Yeah, but, and I, I love that yeah. idea of, of of going back and revisiting and and kind of learning more from them. Um, Anna, it's it's great talking to you about this. I, I appreciate uh, you being so forthcoming about things that that are so intimate. And um, and I, I want to ask you one more question. That's that's really off sure. topic. But what are you reading at the moment?
1: Oh, I just well i I feel a little floored by this book that I just read um that someone who saw my paintings recommended um it's called the unconsoled um and i it's a really hard book because it's a little bit infuriating. It's about a pianist who keeps trying to get to his concert and it's a little bit dreamlike in the sense things keep getting in the way and he keeps meeting people who distract him and he keeps saying, listen, I, I really wish I could help you, but I, I have to keep going. But then he gets involved with them and He keeps being distracted over and over and over. And it's, and it feels like a thriller. Of course, what <laughs> your body feels like you're reading a thriller and it's absurd to think that because it's just someone who's trying to get to their piano recital and afraid that they're going to get there late. And that, and it's really that thing about, I mean, it's, it's truly about what is the point, you know, in a beautiful way. And I mean, it's, 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 it's the author. He's um, a British uh, Japanese author and he wrote never let me go. And, um, he also wrote... Um, Kazuo Ishiguro, the correct? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Oh, Ishiguro. I thought yeah. It said his name. Yeah, sorry. Um, but but Unconsoled is, is fabulously weird and um, was completely worth it. And I feel kind of wrung out by it. It was a very strange book and wonderful, actually, infuriating in the beginning. And I kept wanting to put it down. But um, And actually, I was just thinking, somebody said the other day that seeing my paintings was like reminded them of George Saunders stories. And I love George Saunders and my mother's favorite book. uh, I was asking her the week she was dying of her favorite books. And, um, and she said, loved Lincoln and the Bardo, which is a George Saunders. It was his first novel. And um, it's kind of a clunky, wonderful novel too. And so I just decided I'm going to reread that again. Um, So, Yeah. It sounds like I read a lot of, uh, by the way, I also read a lot of crap. I'm I, Not that I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I've even read Jack Reacher novels. So I makes me sound like I'm like highfalutin, but I also I also like reading completely um,
0: lowbrow. Pulp uh, fiction, <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> yeah, so super embarrassing yeah. stuff.
0: I'm glad you added that Anna i want to thank you for talking with me today and and and, and wish you well in your show. Uh, thank you so much you're listening to yale radio w y b c This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.